0: kingdoms collide that's what we're going to talk about oh I've gone cold now flipping heck that didn't work well anyways um and I'm titling it this way because for me this is what happened when Jesus lived died and was resurrected there was a collision of kingdoms I mean a literal collision of kingdoms in in the early church but then there's a continuing collision of kingdoms and um I, uh, we're not going to focus in on the specific resurrection story. That's why I wanted to play those dramatised videos, so we got the story and hopefully heard it in a way that is a bit more impactful than just it being read to you. Um, but really, I want to look at how we understand the resurrection—that word—resurrection of Jesus and what Jesus was doing as a continuation of the story from Genesis through into uh, the the Gospels and into the early church. Because at one level, Easter is about God sending his son Jesus who chose to die on a cross to absorb the world's evil and consequences into himself. So at one level, that's what it's about. And one of the results of that absorption of all that is evil and wrong into himself is that we're able to experience the love and forgiveness of the Father because he's already led the way. So, so Easter is about being forgiven, and it is about being loved, and it is about being accepted. And that's the kind of basic message of it, and that's what I hoped between them, um, Andy and, and Audrey had shared, which they did. But there's a whole other level to it as well. And because it's much more than that, and if this idea, of course, of being loved, forgiven, and accepted is new to you, then, of course, you can experience it. What a great day to experience for the first time the love, acceptance, and care, and forgiveness of Jesus. Um, uh, You can know peace in your heart, healing in your soul, and joy in your spirit because of Easter. You've just got to go, yes, please, Jesus, and it's yours. It's as simple as that, no matter how young you are, or old you are, or where you're at. You can have it, you've just got to say, yes, please, to Jesus, and there, you've got it. But of course, Easter is... Also, more than that, and and that message, that message of, of salvation that we call it in the church, sometimes it seems like that's the only message there is, but really that's the introductory message that Jesus brought. That was like the introduction to the rest of the book, because really what Jesus also brought was this thing called the kingdom of God. He brought this thing called a kingdom, and really it's this thing about the kingdom I want to talk about. I wanted to make sure that we talked about peace and acceptance and forgiveness, uh, because that's really important. We make sure we mention that and talk about that. But for me, there's, there's then, there's, this is the starting place. And then there's something much bigger that I want to talk about. And in order to talk about it, um, I'm going to read you. Well, I'm not going to read you. I've asked a few people to just read some different scriptures. And I want you to listen out as these scriptures are read for the theme that's in them. There's a theme running through them all that we don't always talk about. We often talk about Jesus as saviour. We often talk about Jesus as um, father. So, so, so this house is big on the father heart of God. It's big on that God loves you, he's for you, he's with you. And, and we'll always be big on that. But I think we're moving into a time when there's some other elements of him we've got to remind ourselves of and perhaps focus on. Because he's also what you're going to hear about. Um, okay, Hannah, do you want to come and do the first one? And then you can just kind of pick up between you. So just listen to the theme that runs through these things. Sorry, I should have told you so you could get down here, shouldn't I, first? I'm sorry, I forgot you were up there.
1: Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel.
0: Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Thanks, Claire.
1: Upon hearing this, Pilate went back inside his palace and summoned Jesus. Looking him over, Pilate asked him, Are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus looked at Pilate and said, The royal power of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would be fighting to the end to defend me from the Jewish leaders. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. Then Pilate responded, Oh, so then are you a king? You are right, Jesus said. I was born a king, and I have come into this world to prove what truth really is. And everyone who loves the truth will receive my words.
2: And it was now almost noon, and it was the same day that they were preparing to slay the, the Passover lambs. Then Pilate said to the Jewish officials, Look, here is, your, here is your king. But they screamed out, Take him away, take him away and crucify him. Pilate replied, Shall I nail your king to a cross? the high priest answered we have no other king but Caesar Pilate had them post a sign over the cross which was written in three languages Aramaic, Latin and Greek many of the people of Jerusalem read the sign for he was crucified near the city the sign stated Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews thank you
0: I wanted you to hear all those scriptures to see how often the theme of Jesus as king comes through. And they're nearly all from John. And there's this idea in the Gospels that Jesus was a king. In fact, it said there, when when Pilate asked Jesus, Jesus said, I was born a king. And Jesus' first words in Mark's Gospel are, it's time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. So Jesus talks about a kingdom and establishing a kingdom and how it can now be experienced in its fullness. And if you read through the Gospels, you see that it's really clear that many people wanted him to be a king. At one point, they want to make him a king by force, and he runs away. They're desperate for him to be king. And of course, they want him to be king of Israel. Just, it's important when, you read, when we think of Israel, we think of a piece of land in the Middle East. When the Bible talks of Israel, it doesn't mean a piece of land in the Middle East. It means a people. So when God talks about the king of Israel, and you read about the king of Israel, Israel are these people. It's a group of people. So when Jesus therefore talks about, I'm I'm bringing to bring a kingdom of which there must be a king, he's not talking about a geographical place. He's talking about a group of people who he's going to be a king to. And Jesus constantly talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. They just mean the same thing. In fact, that phrase appears over a hundred times in the Gospels. To think that Jesus came and had anything to do, and had only to do with salvation, is to completely miss the point of the Gospels. Jesus came to build a kingdom. And he came to create a kingdom and to be the king of a kingdom. And whenever he preached this gospel of the kingdom, people were healed, it says, of every sickness and disease. So the kingdom is not simply about being forgiven, accepted, and loved, although that's the entryway into the kingdom, but then it's also about growing in that kingdom. It's about being healed internally and externally and the rule and reign of God coming on the face of the earth. So we read, the first reading was Mark 1 where it says, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, Well, what was fulfilled was that all these entry requirements into this kingdom were suddenly broken apart. So up to this point, the entry requirements were quite strict. You had to be born into a Jewish family as a Jew. Or you could assimilate yourself into Jews. But even then, you were, you were kind of not really a Jew. You were like half a Jew. And then you had to do all these things. And But of course, Jesus comes and he just breaks all that aside. That's why he spends so much time with the, the people who are called the Gentiles, which just means non-Jews. He spends his time with those people. Or he spends his time with the people who the Jewish ruling religious classes had decided were outcasts. That's why he spends all this time, because he's, he's modelling going, hey, I'm breaking this thing wide open now for anybody and everybody to be a part of. And when he announces it's at hand, it doesn't mean it's on its way. It means it's here, available to everyone right now. And so we could say this, that, have you got that slide, Matt? Jesus' words and presence gave many of his hearers faith to see that when he acted, God acted. So, so, so they knew, they'd read the prophets, they knew their Old Testament, they knew that when somebody came and they saw healings and they saw miracles and they saw freedom, that was a sign of God acting because the God they knew was a God who liberated people. That's what the Old Testament tells you. That's what the story of Exodus is all about. God's a God of liberation. He's a God of freedom. He's a God of taking you out of slavery, out of those things into freedom. So when they saw somebody come on the face of the earth who did that individually and in groups of people, they made the connection. Ah, this is God acting. They were aware of the invisible presence of God acting within the visible reality and action of Jesus. Now, of course, that's still how the kingdom comes. And it's still how God rules and reigns, because the primary way the kingdom can advance on the face of the Earth is through the invisible presence of God, acting within the visible reality and action of you. That's how it comes now, because he's not the, the invisible presence of God't well, he does live within Jesus, but he also lives within you. So every time you act, every time you do something that is like God is like, every time you bring freedom and light and liberation and help and hope, then that means that you are bringing the kingdom of God on the face of the earth. You see, this idea, though, of the invisible presence of God acting within the visible reality and action of Jesus was why Paul wrote in Colossians 1 that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. It's why the writer to the Hebrew says that he was the express image of God's person. It's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, you've just, if you are not know what the Father looks like, you've just got to look at Jesus. One of the reasons Jesus came was to go, this is what God's like. This is what he's like. So when you see him reaching out to, to people caught in situations, when you see him reaching out, touching people that nobody else had touched, what you realize is that's what God's like. He reaches out all the time. And so when Jesus talked about the kingdom being at hand, it means it's here, it's now, it's available. And although it has this now and not yet sense about it. So there will be a day when the whole earth is covered with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea and everything, everyone, everywhere submits to God's rule and reign. There will be a day when that happens. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But the message of Easter... It's not that we sit around here waiting until that glorious day, desperately doing our best to get by until someday we escape through death to go to some other place called heaven. The message of Easter is that God is already king. He's already king now. And that's what I really want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that God is already king. He is already Lord. He is already master. And we can choose to acknowledge that fact or not. You can deny that fact. You can pretend it's not true, but I'm telling you, it just is a fact. Jesus is Lord and he is king of the whole world. And his kingdom can be seen everywhere. You see, anything that obeys his principles is part of his kingdom. Anything that doesn't, isn't. It's quite simple, really. Everywhere you find things going on that he desires, there you find his kingdom. Of course. And And this is fascinating to me, but that do not mean to say that everybody that's doing it necessarily knows they're doing it. You see, if you read Matthew 25, you see that Jesus says, look, if you're feeding the hungry, if you're visiting people in prison, if you're clothing those who need clothing, then you are, you are doing it as though it was to me. So, so incredibly, there are people who are feeding people right now. What are they doing? They're bringing the kingdom. Does, does God want people fed? Of course he wants people fed. Is that the kingdom coming? Of course it is. They don't even know they're doing it in Jesus' name. Just think every nurse, every doctor, they bring in the kingdom. Why? Because healing's coming. That, isn't that the kingdom of God? Healing coming on the face of the earth? Now, of course, is it the fullness of the kingdom? Well, no, because the fullness of the kingdom is knowledge of Jesus. The fullness of the kingdom is, is the understanding who Jesus is. But listen, we've got to learn to celebrate everywhere the kingdom is. Even in places we don't like it by people we don't think should be doing it. God wants his kingdom to come and half the time the people who don't know me the ones who are willing to get their hands dirty and actually do the work think of the people who give up lives and go on ships to places and do all sorts people who give up lives and go out to Syria and places like that to bring life to bring humanity hey it's bringing relief it's bringing the kingdom of God is it the fullness No, but I think God goes well I'm not going to wait till all the Christians get ready because if I've looked it might take forever and I want my kingdom to come on the face of the earth. So, so the kingdom pervades everywhere, but we've got to learn to look and see it. And then we've got to learn to go, you know this thing you're doing, that's the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about why you do that. Let me tell you about the Jesus that's in that, that you aren't quite recognized yet. A bit like those disciples in John 20. They see Jesus, but don't recognize him. Our job is not really to tell people about Jesus, because as though they don't know him, it's to help them see the Jesus they already don't quite recognize do you understand me? A lot of the time we think when we, we, we're talking to people about Jesus that it's like they have no idea about him. But listen, if there's something good in the heart, where did that come from? If there's something good in them, it must have come from him. All we've got to do is point out that what's in them and go, hey, this, this thing here, you know where that comes from. You know there's this man who does this and can do this. We've got to rethink some of the things that we think so when Jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come he wasn't talking about the kingdom coming into existence he was talking about God's ways and principles invading the earth on heaven as it is on on earth as it is in heaven Now I want to talk about how the early church interpreted this idea of God's kingdom because the early church of course lived under somebody called Caesar and Caesar was lord and savior Jesus didn't make any of these things up. Lord, Savior, Gospel, Son of God. None of those were new terms. They all existed in Rome at that time. And what Jesus and Paul and the early disciples did was take those things and go, actually, this is what you think it means, but I'm telling you, this is what it means. So Romans 10 and verse 9. The the early church and Paul don't often talk about Jesus as king, but they do talk about Jesus as Lord. And I'll talk about shift in a minute. But Romans 10 and verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, we have to ask then, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? He doesn't say if you declare Jesus is your dad, he doesn't say if you declare Jesus is your savior or Jesus is your friend. He says Jesus is Lord. Maybe we have to explore what that means means a little bit and to do that I Faye's just going to share for two or three minutes what it means for her for Jesus to be Lord I don't know
1: about two or three minutes but um, yeah so when when Adam was asking me this I was just thinking the word Lord for me is I, I kind of see it in in like a household I, I see lots of things in like pictures are, um, and I see it as a household and he is the head, he is the master, he is Lord, he is ruler, um, and regardless of where I fit in that place, he is the same, he's ruler, he's Lord, he's supreme, he's, um, yeah, and, and despite my highs and my lows, I'm human, I have good days, I have bad days, um, he is Lord, he rules, he reigns, um and his authority is is not only in heaven but it's here on earth as well and as i give him that authority not only recognize it in heaven and on earth but recognize that that can be a place in me that his kingdom his lordship and authority can can be my my um my foundation my um my life my the the basis on which I build my house Um, because it's not just me and my household it is me with him and his household Um, and as I recognize and welcome him as the head of my household as lord of my household every part of my life is is involved in that I don't split myself up into 10 pieces as well this is work this is church this is family this is extended family this is Um, As I go out shopping at Tesco or wherever, no, it's every part of my life. I don't just put him to one side or go, well, he can come in this handbag today. No, he's part of my life. It's it's inward, it's part of me. Um, and, And like I say, this doesn't shift based on my feelings or my spheres of where I am, my commitments, my responsibilities. He is and will always be master and the head of my household. Um and, and as I recognize that he this is his um innate place, this is his position, um, and I, I allow him to lead and guide me as I trust in him being Lord, um, that it brings such a security, it brings such a peace, um, that I don't have to run around trying to to do this and that and fill this and that void, that I can just rest in his lordship. And that that lordship will seep out in every area of my life. Um, and Jesus as my Lord is is I kind of see it as like this this ladder between heaven and earth. And that so often we can kind of um, separate out, but we we live in this environment of heaven and earth. Heaven is here, um, and His kingdom is here, and um, I think I was sharing this the other week and I picked up on it about um, the times where I mean, I'm really struggling with my head today and I have done all week but regardless of the state of my mind, whether that's physical pain or whether that is feeling low or, or high or whatever, despite that, he is Lord and I can operate out of that place so it allows me to operate in a, in a deeper place aside of my humanity, aside of my human nature and the things that affect me day in day out i can sit in that place of rest knowing that he is lord and that i can yeah um and i can connect with him as lord um who is above my state of mind he is above my my um spheres is above all of that and as i honor and access his lordship that anchors me into the kingdom identity of who and where I belong with and that security is in that place and I am whole in that place so although physically I don't feel well I don't feel whole but in that place where he is lord of my household my heart I am whole and um, as Adam was sharing his kingdom is at hand here and now and that submission to his lordship positions me in the kingdom and that is a beautiful beautiful place it's you don't have to try you don't have it is just it is recognizing that he is lord and he can be lord in my heart in my house and that that just seeps everywhere you go um and and can transform your mind so I can be singing and playing and you know I've had doctors saying don't sing that'll make it worse and I'm like no, I refuse. This is my identity. And I will, and it is like this ladder. It, it, it takes you out of this earthly, very real, very, um, yeah, very real. You can feel that pain, you can feel that moment, but it's, it is a ladder. It takes you from that place and I can feel as I sit at my piano and it just, it sends me into this place of wholeness. Um, and it is just a sublime place to live. It really, really is. Um, so yeah, that's Jesus's love for me. Hopefully.
0: Thanks, babe. So for Paul and the early church, they had a they had a creed, if you like. It was very simple. It just said this: Jesus is Lord. Uh, So they had a slightly different way of calling Jesus king. But actually, it takes it a step further because uh, if if you look at what the words mean, to be king meant you were a leader, a sovereign, but to be lord meant something more. Lord meant someone who had supreme authority. Your lord was someone to whom you belonged and someone who had the power of deciding for you. Your lord was your owner. Somebody who would control you. So Paul and the early church took the idea of king and then took it further. And it's possible they did that very deliberately because in the place where they lived there was already a lord who had supreme power. Jesus lived and died under Roman occupation in the first century. So who was lord and saviour at that time? Well Caesar was lord and saviour. That's not a theological idea, it's an architectural fact. You can find tiny coins that said Caesar is Lord and Savior. You can find inscriptions on imperial cult temples that declared Caesar was Lord. And the same goes for Son of God. When Julius Caesar died and Octavian became emperor, he was declared August by the Senate. So he became Caesar Augustus. August means venerable, which means worthy of worship, which eventually becomes divine. So the ascension of Augustus Caesar Augustus to the throne meant peace and his divine triumph was celebrated throughout the Roman world. And everywhere he went, people would proclaim Caesar is Lord and Savior because Caesar had brought peace. I mean, Caesar brought peace by killing a lot of people, but you know, hey, he brought peace. And Caesar brought peace as long as you agreed Caesar was Lord, otherwise you ended up on a cross. But hey, it was a kind of peace. But one of the reasons the early church was persecuted was they continue insist that Jesus was Lord. So when Paul writes Jesus as Lord, he's committing high treason against the state. This is like you being in Germany in 1938 and going, Jesus ist Führer. Literally, that's like what you're doing. Effectively, there's this obvious sense that, no, it's clearly obvious in in Germany in 1938 that there's one man who is leading this thing, and you're going, nope. I know you're saying this person's Fuhrer, but I'm saying Jesus is Fuhrer. That's exactly what the early church were doing. They were going, we know everything says it. There's a whole state apparatus and we're walking past hundreds on crosses who dare to disagree, but we are going to proclaim that Jesus is Lord over and above anything that Caesar says. And you see, it would be a bit strange for anyone to talk of choosing to make Caesar Lord of your life. You didn't make Caesar Lord of your life. He was lord of your life. You didn't choose to make him that. He just was. If you were born in the Roman Empire, Caesar was lord. You didn't choose it. Of course, you could willfully decide you didn't like it. You could even decide that you wanted to pretend it wasn't true. But it was true. You could rebel against it all you want, willfully fight it, choose to deny it and pretend it wasn't so. But at the end of the day, Caesar would be on the throne and he would be calling the shots. Of course, two thousand years ago, there was a high price to pay if you denied Caesar was Lord. You ended up on a cross. But of course, think about it. Think about what it meant when the early church said Jesus was Lord. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. It's a bit like, you know, you can, you can tell me that Trump's still president if you want of America and as an American citizen you could go no no he's my president but but Joe Biden's now in the White House and Joe Biden's in Air Force One and Joe Biden's in Marine One and you can tell me all you want that Trump's president but he's just not he's just not is he well it was the same way you can tell me that Jesus isn't Lord but it's just not true because he is it's not something you get to choose it's just a fact this idea that I'm going to choose Jesus as Lord in my life is actually nonsense. No, he just is Lord of all the world and you're part of the world, so he is Lord. It's not about you choosing it or not. It's about how you choose to act and respond to it. You don't get to choose whether Jesus is Lord. That's not up to you. We already did that. Nobody gets to choose. Sorry. He just is Lord. That's what happened at Easter. Jesus became king and Lord of the whole universe. So, we could say this if you've got that, man. The question is whether Jesus is Lord of all the earth. He is. The question is to what extent are you recognizing him as Lord of all the earth? Yeah. And all the earth includes you. You see, and, and it helps. It's this shift because if, if, if we each get to individually choose whether Jesus is Lord, well, that's just our choice. But no, he just rules and reigns. Fact. As far as I'm concerned, it's a fact. He is Lord. He is master, and I choose to how, what extent I live under that. Remember, your Lord is someone to whom you belong, and someone who have you, or we could say it like this, someone who you have given the power of deciding for you, someone you have allowed to speak in and decide what you do, where you go, when you go there. You see, they're really easy. The really easy kind of thing to do in a talk is, is to go, who sits on the throne of your life? Listen, Jesus is on it. That's not the question. Jesus is on it. The question is, who else is on it? Come on, us I need you. It's, time, it's your time. I wanted to do it with the kids, but of course I probably shouldn't lump them all together. So I had the biggest household I've got, which is the tailors. You see, we we imagine that there's like, if you think of the throne of your life, that like, you know, I can choose whether Jesus sits on it or not. But the truth is, he's already sat on it. Your challenge is not whether Jesus is sat on the throne of your life. He is. The challenge is what else is sat there. Come on, pile on. Let's get you all on. Who wants to be Jesus? Seth, do you want to be Jesus? No. No. Daddy wants to be Jesus. Okay, alright, Daddy, you sit there, you, you sit there, Daddy. Wow. Cool. Alright, pile on. Come on, we've got to fit you all on, all five of you. Excellent. Where are you gonna go? You could go there. Excellent. There we go. There you go. oh, excellent. Ariella's helping too. Yes, more people. Wonderful. There we go. Can you squish? Can I lift your, can you up, Mimi? You see on there. There we go. You see, this is what the thrones of our lives look like. <laughs> Jesus is under there somewhere, but you can't even see him. Because we've got so much other stuff on there. We think it's about making Jesus Lord. No, it's about getting all the stuff off that's also Lord so you can actually see him. Yeah. Easter means he's king. Yeah. He is Lord and he is there. But most of us live lives like this. So we've got we've got work and we've got family and we've got friendships and we've got finance and we've got our hobbies. And then somewhere underneath all that is Jesus who every now and again kind of just pokes his head out and goes, ah! But if we're going to be if we're going to be people of the kingdom, we might have to get rid of some things that shouldn't be on there. That's the real battle. All right, thanks, guys. That was wonderful. (laughs) You see, to, to suggest. That Jesus is not Lord of all the earth is to deny the reality of Easter. Easter is the time when God became king of everything. You may not have acknowledged him as king and Lord. You might not be able to see him on the throne because of all the other things you've put there. But he is Lord of all. You see, it's, it's not an either or question about where Jesus is. It's a both and It's not, is Jesus Lord or is something else Lord? No, it's about the seven, eight, nine, ten different things that you've met competing lords. And it's about working out which ones you're going to allow to actually speak. To suggest that Jesus is not Lord of your life is to deny the reality of the Easter. In the same way that denying Boris Johnson is not the prime minister doesn't stop him being prime minister. He just doesn't. You can think what you want about him, but he just is According to everything, he is the prime minister. Well, it's the same. Jesus is Lord. The better question then to finish with is to what extent are you acting like he's Lord? How much of your love shows that he is Lord? And if a Lord is someone who you belong to and someone who you have given the power of deciding for, then how many of your decisions are made in the light of him? I love that you know. Faye said, he's not somebody I put in a handbag and take with me every now and again. He's not just lord of my life in this part, or this part, or this part. He's lord of it all. How many of your decisions are made in the light of him actually being lord? How many of your financial decisions? I'm amazed how many people give the tithes and offerings and then think that the rest of it's up to them to decide what to do. Up to them to decide what to do with. It don't work like that. If he's lord of it all, he's lord of it all. <laughs> What about your time? You make time to be here, to do all sorts of things. But listen, if he's Lord, he's meant to be involved in everything. You see, the kingdom adv- of God advanced so quickly in the early church because when they said Jesus is Lord, it actually meant something powerful about it. It didn't just mean Jesus is Lord. There was this eerie echo that went, and Caesar's not. So when you say Jesus is Lord, what's your echo? What is the thing that when you say Jesus is Lord, what's the echo that goes, and he's not? To them, it was very clear that it was Caesar that was not. The whole way of living and life and everything that Caesar meant that was the total opposite of how Jesus lived. But for you, there are some things in your life that need to be a, if Jesus is Lord, then this is not. What, how do you fill in the blank? See, the kingdom of God Advances in your life and in all your spheres in direct proportion to the extent to which He is the sole Lord of your life. The kingdom of God advances in direct proportion to the amount to which He is Lord. If you've got eight or nine things on that throne, there will not be much advancement of the kingdom in your life and in those around you. The less people that are on there, because I think we all have a few people on there, but the less people that are on there, the quicker the kingdom of God advances in your life and in all the things that you touch. Our task then is not about putting Jesus on the throne, it's about taking all the things that are not Jesus off the throne. So this Easter, what do you need to take off the throne? So Jesus can have a little more room on it. So you can hear his voice a little bit more clearly. So that his voice is not muffled behind all the other things. So you hear him more clearly, sense him more deeply, know him more powerfully. Do you wanna come back up guys? I want to um I want to finish in a couple of ways. First of all, I want you to just ponder that question. If Jesus is Lord then something is not. What is it that fills that gap in for you? But also I, I felt like sometimes God speaks on certain days because it's memorable for you. Um I remember the day Alyssa was born was a Sunday because it was Easter Sunday, Um, as Phil remembers very well.
2: Because
0: I I, I said to him, I was down to preach 11 years ago on Easter Sunday, and I I said to him, Phil, you better get ready because she might come along. And he went, yeah, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. And then at 8 o'clock on Easter Sunday morning, I went, Phil, you know, I said it might happen. It happened. And he went, oh, you're having me on. I said, I'm not. (laughs) And you had a great time, didn't you? You did fab. But of course, I remember that day. I remember a word that somebody gave me because I'd preached one Easter Sunday morning many years ago on the three resurrections in the Bible that, that want Jesus and somebody gave me a word about bringing resurrection life. But I say it because I felt like God might want to speak and it's, it's been happening all throughout this time together but sometimes he wants to say something to us on a specific day because he wants us to remember it for a long time. Sometimes we link into certain things and certain times. So as these guys play, play King of Kings, I want you to think about the things he's been saying. But I also feel like there might be some people who have had some pictures or some words or some prophetic things. And I want you to feel to share it. But, but I'm, I'm specifically asking, okay? It's, it's, it's going to be tied in with what's going on, okay? If it's not tied in with what's going on, maybe it's for later, maybe it's for another time, Okay? But I always want to just release that flower, of God's spirit to speak in different ways at different times. Um, but let's just, first of all, just as these guys play, let's just let God move and see what happens and make, make space. we have got to learn to make space for him, eh? Okay, so just, yeah, let's see where we go from here.